Hello, hello, hello. Hey, Anna. How's the uh, trying to find a job going? Same as before. Still no job? Still no pay. Still okay. No we got an interesting uh, uh, person we're talking to today, Grant Spatore, uh, co-founder of the um, Penguin Empire. He's a, an ad director primarily. He started off with music video and uh, he's uh, branching off into features now, uh, something he's been doing Very quite cool. a while. Uh, Grant and I uh, go back a long time. Uh, we were in youth theatre. We talk a bit about that. We also worked on a kids show together. So uh, I think we should jump straight Let's into do it. it. Okay, so uh, Grant, uh, why don't you tell us a bit about yourself and what you do? I should come prepared with an answer for that so I could be really succinct and insightful and make myself sound great. Uh, what do I, a bit about myself and what do I do? I, I um, was born and raised in Perth, Western Australia, which I believe was the case for both of you guys too, um, and I've always loved uh, filmmaking. So I studied uh, you know, that through high school and in my backyard. Uh, making short films and the like uh, before graduating to, you know, studying it in a more formal capacity at uni and, and making music videos and short films and then um, moving up to, to making ads, you know, trying to increase the budget and production values as as I went. Uh, so I now run a company called The Penguin Empire here in WA making TV commercials, um, but we're just getting into making a feature film uh, or a couple of feature films potentially, but one that we're on the cusp of making most closely, which is a film called Mother, which we developed in-house with a friend of mine who's a writer and is now financed and looking ready to shoot, hopefully, in August this year. I don't know how to think that was, but hopefully it was informative. Are you uh, are you shooting in Perth or are you going we elsewhere? Were, we were going to shoot in Perth and hoped to shoot in Perth. It certainly would have been more convenient for me and my wife um, and our and our nine month old puppy. Uh, but ultimately, we were shooting in Adelaide um, for a couple of different reasons, unfortunately. But oh, yeah. we really wanted to. Well, I just would have preferred to be working from home, and plus, I know the crews here as opposed to having to, you know stare out across a sea of unknown faces in the middle of a stressful shoot day. It would have been good to have a few more friendly faces in the crowd, but it, it makes the most sense, unfortunately, for us to be filming yeah, in Adelaide. Yeah, sometimes. Oh, I, I say that, but I'm, I'm excited about Adelaide and what Adelaide offers. It's just, you know, it's not home. Yeah, and uh, sometimes it's where you can get the funding. That's right. There's funding to be had there, um, even though Screen West was actually really supportive, but in the end, um, it's it's partly about studio space and it's partly about um post production as much as anything because there's our visual effects house is there and um and stuff like that it's just the way the the cards fell on this one is it a horror no it's a it's a sci-fi oh nice very cool very cool yeah uh so um how did you decide you wanted to work in film uh it always did I guess, you know, like <clears throat> as alluded to in my, my sprawling history, uh, you know, I just I grew up loving movies, watching movies and pretty quickly decided that I'd like to partake as well and stole my parents' camcorder and I don't think they ever got it back. It's probably in one of my drawers here in my house. Um, and, you know, was making short films with action figures and then short films with friends and then eventually short films with paid actors. Um so it's sort of just been part of who I am for as long as I can remember, really. Interesting. So, uh, what do you? This is kind of a not a, not really a controversial question, but sometimes thinks people think it is. What did you think of the going to film school? I know you went to Curtin University, and I don't mean to. I'm not trying to rag on Curtin University or anything, but did you think it was worthwhile going, or did you? Uh, no, totally. How did totally. you see that I, It's experience? not necessarily like the education, you know, it's not the the book learning that at the time feels like the most valuable thing. It's definitely the structured framework. Um, uh, you know, it's, it's the discipline of, of turning up and making your life about film. And certainly some people could, could do that or would do that without the... Um, you know, the support of, of the faculty, but what you don't get in that instance is, is access to gear, of course. And so, you know, being able to go and book out a camera whenever you need one and lights whenever you need one is huge. And then the other thing, of course, is the like-minded people 
uh, you know, having access to and meeting a large number of people who are interested in the same stuff and wanting to do the same thing is massive. I mean, again, maybe, you know, with the internet now, people can team up, you know, just as easily, but I don't regret it in the slightest. Like, I got a lot out of it. And then the other thing that I've realized since graduating is that if I'd paid more attention and read the books that they were telling me to read, they're actually pretty great. Like a couple of the books um, that I, I went on to fall in love with and study and look at quite closely now that I'm a quote unquote professional were things I realized much later I was supposed to have read like in first and second year uni. And I was like, oh crap, if I'd read these things back then, I wonder how much better off I'd have been. Um, but you kind of uh, have okay. to find your way to them in your own time, I guess. And it's different being told to read something versus like finding it for yourself and wanting to read it. Um, uh, do you mind yeah. which, saying which books you're talking about? Um, the, 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 the most obvious two are Directing Actors, I think, by Judith Weston. I could have that totally wrong. But I have a dog-eared copy of Directing Actors. Oh, look, here it is on my desk. Yes, it is. I nailed it. Directing Actors by Judith Weston. Um, and the one that I absolutely would get right, because I do refer to it all the time, is Robert McKee's story, um, which is mm. maybe a bit of a cliche, but God, it's good. Um, well, it's, it's, it's a cliche the, for a reason. Yeah, it's, um, it's been the foundation of the, yeah, just my understanding in, uh, of, of screenwriting, really. Uh, beyond the instinctual stuff, you know, like, oh, I like movies and I, I'm, I like this movie and I like that movie and I think I like this, that and the other. But when you actually get into the minutiae of, of writing your own script and filling every beat on every page, it's good to kind of understand the forensics of it a little better and the and the um, the science of it. So when you're making calls about one choice versus another, you know why you're doing it. The thing that I like about story too, as opposed to like you know, there's so many of these books and and a, and a lot of them are easier reading and simpler. Is that I think that. McKee try, tries to get to an underlying framework. You know, the 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 the, the, um, the criticism of books like these is that they result in films like that are formulaic, and that's probably true to some extent because you know you can watch movies that totally throw off structural considerations and turn out great. But they're more the exception than the rule. Like, you know, ultimately, I've had it been told to me and agree to some extent that a film's only job is really to entertain you and whether it's entertaining you because it's thought provoking or it's emotional or it's insightful um, or it's just visually spectacular, right? You know, that you could watch two hours of anything so long as it's entertaining. But McKee yeah, I, is very focused on like a story um, works a certain way and needs to function a certain way, which totally isn't always true. But to get back to the, the original point that, that I was trying to make is that McKee is like more interested in like the very underlying structural kind of nature of storytelling rather than like um, Blake Snyder's Save the Cat or whatever, which is like, oh, on page 30, this happens like this very specific, the bad guys close in or like all is lost. And that that is just a little that's probably easier for a story to like for a first time screenwriter to pick up and get their head around and be like, oh, OK, I can write a script that works off the back of reading um, Snyder's Save the Cat, but when they go to write their second film, it's going to be very similar to their first film and the third and fourth film and so on because the, the, the band, the bullseye is quite small that Snyder offers, whereas McKee is, um, yeah, much broader and much gen, like far more general about kind of, you know, how the overarching story may work, but kind of very specific about how a scene works and how, you know, a story should turn and what its underlying guiding principles should be and stuff. But Anyway, I think that ended up being the more sprawling answer out of any that I've given so far. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, for, for me, after reading uh, Story, I found that, like, and I think this happens to a lot of people, especially coming out of film school, but like, you, you start seeing the artifice in films. And so for a while, I was a bit despondent. I was like, okay, so I'm going to see films and I'm watching not the film, but how they, they're constructing the story. Except then I go to see a good film and I, I forget all about that, right? Totally. Yeah, that <laughs> was, that was, that's what I was going to say. And that's what I've had um, friends, you know, friends who ask me like, oh, like he's going to the movies, like going to work for you because you're sitting there um, and you're analyzing everything. Well, that's true to some extent, except that I love my work and I love what I do. So it's quite invigorating sometimes. But 
ultimately, if the film is really working, you do get caught up in it and forget all about that stuff. So uh, I want to I want to take you back a bit um, uh, to you're just out of film school, uh, and what did you do? What did, how did you uh, how did you approach that time? You know that uncertain time where you're you're leaving this place where you had free equipment and you uh, you had a support network and and you're branching out on your own. How did you approach that? Um. I basically I started a company like me me and uh, a close mate from university decided pretty early on that we could either go around begging asking for people asking people for opportunities or we could like you know go out and start our own company and make our own opportunities uh, so yeah we started the Penguin Empire pretty much <clears throat> immediately on finishing film school and, oh, and so wow. we started doing, you know, motion graphics projects and music videos and trying to, uh, you know, build something, basically. Was it successful? We're still going. <laughs> well, I, it's obviously very successful now, but in the early days, was it difficult to convince people to let you do your job? It was a process, definitely. Like, you know, <clears throat> what we do now is very different to, to what we were doing then. Uh, and it's certainly done mm. with the benefit of more money, which is nice at a certain point in a person's life. Uh, but yeah, it was successful. It was invigorating. It was fun. It was hard work. It was probably harder work then than it is now by a long stretch. Um, uh, yeah, it depends what part you're talking about. Like is it, in terms of letting people let you do what you want to do, you, probably that side of it was easier uh, because more often than not, we were doing projects with less money or no money, like music videos, really, uh, you know, and they yeah. were getting the deal of a lifetime and they were so thankful that we were going, we were making them anything. Plus, there's just a culture in, well, hopefully it continues to be true. There's a culture in music video making that's very auteur-driven auteur in the sense that it's like, oh, well, we commissioned this director, he's come up with the concept, he's put in the treatment, or her, and, um, you know, we... Mm -hmm we support it. Like we've got to let him make that thing that he wanted to make. Uh, so they'll let you do what you want to do, but they won't give you the resources to do it. And that's why it's, it's harder work. It's late nights. It's like, you know, staying up all day, painting a set and then like, Oh crap, I've got to make the sandwiches for the shoot tomorrow. <laughs> um, so, you know, it, it, it's hard work. Definitely. Um, but you know, you do the work, you prove that you can make cool stuff and then people that have money to spend are willing to take the chance of giving you their money on the basis of the work that they've seen you do before. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, we were talking, talking to Owen in the last episode. Uh, we, he mentioned that you did the short film Legacy. And, uh, yeah. I, I do remember, that I have recollection of when that was being made and all about that, but uh, uh, that was that was kind of your was that your first project kind of out of uh, out of university or uh, it was definitely my first short film. I think yeah, that's right. Oh, we did a, we, I did a final year short at Curtin uh, that that turned out well and <laughs> definitely wasn't under um, underwritten by the principles of Robert McKee's story. That was definitely like you know my art phase, my blue phase, uh, and yeah. then. <laughs> uh, it was a lot of music videos and uh, other work of that nature through the business. Like we, we, we did like behind the scenes for feature films and, you know, web content or the equivalent thereof at the time. Uh, but the first short that I did was Legacy. It was not the first yeah. short ap like application for short film funding that I'd put in to Screen West. Like I think we'd put in two or three other projects and been knocked back time and again so i suppose there's some lesson to be taken about pers persevering and persistence as well um and, and only because that remains true like you know one shouldn't uh it's not like oh getting making that short film was the thing that enabled me to, to go on or whatever but it's true at every stage where it's like you know you'll face rejection we've been really lucky with this feature film that we wrote like like really lucky, like, uh, but it, it, in the sense that we, we wrote this script, we sent it out um, to quote unquote Hollywood and got a very enthusiastic reception and had like a ton of people offering to throw money at us, which is kind of the, the dream. Uh, and, but 
It was made all the sweeter because the same writer and I had tried to get another project off the ground for like four years that we loved and that people loved. And they were like, this is a good script, clearly underwritten by the principles of Robert McKee's story, they would say. Um, but, yeah. you know, it's, uh, uh, it's not, it doesn't make financial sense. So, like, it, it just, it'll cost too much money relative to what films of this nature generally bring in and or you know you're a first-time filmmaker and we don't know you from adam so we're not going to let you do it um at which point it would have been very tempting to just say well screw it this filmmaking thing is really hard um but ultimately we dusted ourselves off and came up with another idea and, and had learned from the experience and 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 wrote something that they would say yes to uh, and they did, or at least have thus far. But ultimately, you know, again, it's another story of perseverance and, and being willing to take the knocks and keep going. The, and the, the point that I was making too isn't just that it's completely smooth sailing on this new film, uh, but it was for a while, and then the knocks start coming. You know, like, oh, it's like, oh, okay, actually, no, you don't have enough money relative to how much you thought you needed to make the film, you actually need this much more and or all the other challenges that start happening, you know, when you start making a film. But the good the good news is that we're making the film. So that's that's good. Yeah. It's, it's Are you a- directing? Mm. Directing, yes. And, you know, I was... It, it, I, I worked really closely with the writer. Michael and I have been friends for coming on eight or nine years now, uh, partly because we've been working on that other project for so long. Uh, so we work mm. on each sort of scene, scene by scene, like uh, beat by beat. And then Michael goes away and does the hard work of filling in the empty pages with dialogue and the like. Interesting. Uh, so going back, so you start off, you start the Penguin Empire and it's you and your uh, your co-founder and you're doing a lot of uh, small stuff. I So I remember basically uh, we've known each other for a long time. Right, we, um, sure have. we were in youth theater, youth theater g- together. Uh, but like, I remember the, the first of the story time. Is definitely do youth theater, so you can meet yes, people definitely. like Pasco. <laughs> if not to further your career, just to enhance your life. Yes, indeed. And I'm not going to sing the song. Uh, um, but uh, the the uh, um, we I remember reconnecting, and you had you were in that office in uh, Mount Lawley. Uh, that was. Uh, um, I'm trying to remember the name of the producer. You know, there was a whole bunch of Sue other Taylor? stuff in. Yeah, there was a whole bunch of yeah, people. Sue... It was a great place to be. We had there was an actors agency in there, and um, Media World Pictures was in there too, with the producers of like The Circuit and Dog Star and a few other great things. Um, so how Sue, did you course, how did you get like into that space? A legend. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm not sure if I should be going out there in the new world and telling people that they should work for free. But sad reality <laughs> is that at some point you should probably work for free. And I used to do a lot of free work for Sue Taylor. Like, you know, look, it, you know, it's free in the sense that no money changes hands, but you get a lot more out of it in the long run if you do a great job. Like, you obviously have a, a contact and a confidant and someone that, like, Sue really became like a mentor to me, like, you know, with a ton of good advice about navigating the film industry and, and you know, for a period of time, some free office space, like, the idea was when we very, like, we just, we moved in there to begin with. It was like, well, look, you know, she had the space. She didn't need it. She was sending me a, a you know, a reasonable amount of work. I think at that point I was getting paid for the work, but not, you know, market rate. And it was like, well, if you're here and around, it's going to be easier for me to get that work that I need from you. So, like, you know, just take the space. But um you know, the reason she gave it to me really is that I think that she liked me and she liked the work that I did. And, and that relationship was developed, you know, via me working for her for free on films. But, like, you know, I did it gladly and would do it again. So, definitely. so uh, it's interesting, right? How, do you, how did you originally make that contact with, uh, like, Sue Taylor? Uh, I worked for Sue as, like, a free, like a real low-level free intern doing gate duty on um, Last Train to Frio. I don't yep. think, you know, that the, that was the foundation of what became a really important and major uh, friendship uh, and relationship, for, like in the sense that, you know, she kind of would have sort of known who I was 
uh, but she was producing the damn movie and she was just driving past me at the gate. And I got some time on set as well doing other other responsibilities. But um, I think I actually re-met her through, like, because I did that job, but that wasn't like that job then turned into me going into her office all the time. Uh, I think I met her through Naomi Ashcroft, who I was doing, who was another producer in town at the time. I was doing some work for Naomi. Um, yeah. And then Naomi referred me to Sue and then I was doing work with Sue uh, and did work with Sue for a long time. The missing piece of information to all of this is often when I'm saying I did work for Sue and I did work for free, like sometimes that's like just general office stuff or helping out wherever I can. But most of the time I'm talking about graphic design and, and that actually, like if I had one piece of nugget, like one nugget of information, piece of nugget, one nugget of information to give to Hannah or anyone that might be listening is that um, do something else. Like that's not, like people like to say like, oh, don't have a backup plan and like fully commit to film and blah, blah, blah. It's like, but it's proven completely true to me that if you have some sort of complementary skill that can add value to other people, you're going to go further. Like everybody's like, oh, I want to write a screenplay or, or I want to be a director or whatever. It's like, but people that can give you opportunities are people who are further along in that mission than you. You know what I mean? Like it's no good going to a more established yeah. director and saying, like, oh, I want to direct movies. It's like, oh, but that doesn't help me. I need a coffee right now. Um, yeah. So <laughs> it's like you need to help those people that can help you in a way that they need to be helped, which isn't often going to be writing a screenplay or, you know, directing a movie. It's going to be something else. So like the, the fact that I could do graphic design like has been a massive asset to me across my career. Like I actually put that as one of the main thing that's, that has helped me get to where I am now, partly because it helped me um, develop relationships with other local filmmakers and those filmmakers helped me in other, in semi-intangible ways going forward. People like Sue yeah. less so, like there were lots of tangible benefits of that. But um, also in the business, mm -hmm. like the the fact that, I could make the business and present the business more professionally than our competitors at, at um, the same stage in their development, you know, unquestionably was a huge benefit to us. So, so that brings up a, an interesting point because it, you weren't just making uh, coffee, right? You weren't just being a runner. And I think sometimes uh, people get despondent uh, when they, they take a runner job on a, a, a gig and they get run down and, you know, and then they drop out or they take a couple of runner gigs and they, they don't feel like they're moving up or they take a, another crew position and they, they get kind of stuck. But you were, you were actually doing something creative that was parallel that allowed you to, to show that you could deliver on projects, you know. Uh, it, yes, it wasn't the same, but it's still still creative, right? Yeah, look, I mean, I have two responses to that. One of which is like, that's absolutely true. And like the great thing about doing graphic design for, for Sue, like for posters and websites and like marketing materials and whatever, like um, was that I was working really directly with her. And, yep. um, you know, she was hearing my creative point of view and I was hearing her creative point of view and our relationship was able to develop, you know, uh, in a way that it wouldn't have if I was merely just grabbing the, the copy, coffee, dropping it on a desk and leaving, right? But yeah, um, mm. I don't think that's the only way to do it. Like, and, and particularly running my own production company now and having people that come in in runner-esque kind of positions, like it's how, it's how you make the most of the opportunities and it's how you put the coffee on the desk, you know? It's like if if she asked for a coffee and you think that she'd like a coffee and a muffin, like buy the muffin and put the muffin on the desk too. Right. And then find some witty repartee, like something to talk about with her. So your relationship goes beyond being the anonymous face uh, in the crowd. One of many people that drops a coffee off on her desk and be the best person that drops a coffee off on her desk. And the only person she wants to have you drop a coffee off on her desk. Um, yeah. And I think, I think it's also like that, that I've seen two, two types. Like you, you get the ones who really take advantage of it and, and then go places and, uh, of a runner position. I don't mean to be uh, hard on runners, but, uh, and, but it's the, the ones who kind of don't understand the opportunity that they get because they're, uh, talking to professionals, right? Yeah. Oh, totally. I, and I think that, yeah, there are those people who are dedicated and, and will succeed and kind of seize an opportunity for what it is. And, 
knows their place in the continuum of kind of professionalism from someone who's starting out to someone who makes their living um, from making stuff and and kind of knows knows where they're at and makes the most of it, you know? Like, it's it's the, the, it's interesting. Like, I wouldn't say that I am where I want to be for the rest of my career right now here in Perth, right? Um, but and so I'm still the guy that sends out emails and 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 wants to kind of leverage up into to better and better positions. Um, but I'm at a point where I I do see what it's like for people that are kind of quote unquote below me trying to come up, and all of that's just a, a very verbose way of saying basically I have a jobs at the penguinempire.com email account. You know where people that are looking for work email jobs at the penguinempire.com. I probably shouldn't have put that in your podcast. Now I'm going to get millions of emails. Um, yeah, you you greatly overestimate the, uh, the ability <laughs> of this podcast. Um, uh, you know, like basically people come to me asking me for opportunities now. And like, it's interesting. Like I learn about what works and what doesn't work in a cold call email or a cold call phone call. Um, like when you're pitching yourself to someone, like I actually find that quite useful. And the number one thing. Okay. 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 No, wait. Yeah. Starter, what works? Oh, well, I was going to say number one thing I'd say to a starter is don't email me if, if you're just getting going and you're just out of film school saying like you're a director. Like you're not, unless you've won like a local award show and you have a piece of work you can point to that is really of good enough standard and saying like, I'm a director, like hire me. Like you're not going to get that job. Like um, you're wasting your time emailing a a person who produces like professional content uh, with budgets saying like, oh, I'm just out of film school. I'm a director, hire me. Like totally email me and say like, I, I want experience, like I want to get on set and work with your directors and see how they work and like, you know, like I'll work for free and do work experience or like I'll get coffees and you can pay me whatever um, or I'll do like work in the office and just learn through osmosis uh, but you're not really actually a director, I'm sorry, like uh, at least not in this sphere and like if you want to direct, the best thing that you could and should be doing is making stuff that you direct, you know, like, but don't email me about it. Like email your friends and get a camera and go make a music video that wins an award and then say, Hey dude, like, you know, I've just made my, you know, eighth music video or fourth or third, depends how good they are. And like, I just won this award and like now I'm working with these artists and I think you should know about me. Like create, you have to turn your email to them as an opportunity for them that they can miss, they can't miss. Not an opportunity for you that you can't miss. If you understand my tensing, it's like if you're the if you're the yeah. the person that wants to, like if you're the the person out of uni, your email needs to land in their inbox like an opportunity for whoever's inbox it landed in. Not you know you extending a hand asking for an opportunity, preferably. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I totally, yeah, I, yeah. I, I totally understand that. There's plenty of. Uh, people in the 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 quote-unquote industry who uh, go around claiming themselves to be something that they're they're quite obviously not you know Uh, and not just directors look this goes through especially um like like the worst thing is where i see someone put director of photography on their their website and uh, they they've never directed photography yeah, uh, you, you know, and like, I think the, like, the one that translates most easily and people get away with more readily uh, and have no idea of is is actually producers because we need we actually need a lot of help within the kind of production end of the business more than anything else. Like you know, it takes a whole team of production people to make something happen, um, and it takes one director. Uh, so there's you know there's not a lot of opportunities for shadowing like and and kind of assisting within that stream but there's plenty of need for like production assistants and runners and location people and you know all of that sort of stuff right but if i got an email if i got a dollar for every email i got from a a, um uh like an aspiring filmmaker who called themselves a producer before their time i'd totally have you know a thousand dollars let's say but um if I had a dollar for every time someone said, like, I really want to get into, like, location management or, like, I really want to, like, help out, like, as a production assistant or I even if somebody's just, like, came out of uni and said, I want to be a production manager or I am the production manager, which would also be inaccurate but would be more appropriate, I guess, um, I, I would have, like, you know, enough to 
buy a coffee or something like not not a lot essentially like the people just don't do it uh and it's surprising like i i don't know why like because even if you don't want to be a location manager forever like send that email for now get in the door make some contacts and then you know switch it up like i don't want to be a graphic designer forever but i'll certainly sit down with sue taylor and make her a flyer I think there's there's yeah. two. I have two perspectives, right? One one from the technical side, and one from the other. I, uh, from the side of the person you're you're saying emailing. I think in university they don't, or certainly my university experience, they didn't really talk about anything other than you know director, editor, uh, producer, um, uh, cameraman, maybe lighting, right? They, so so people don't know the breadth of of work that you can get in the industry. The other side I'd say is that, uh, it, especially in a small market like Perth, uh, they, and I, it, it applies to other markets. I've seen this in, in Houston. I've seen it in Dallas here. Is that you can get pigeonholed into a certain... Uh, uh, you are people know you as something, and they they contact you to do a certain bit of work that they need, and then it it they can't kind of conceptualize you as something else. I mean, did you have that that uh, problem when you you bridged across from graphic design, mostly graphic design work, to trying to do directing stuff? I think both both of your points are completely fair. Like it it seems actually like hearing it put back to me as you've just done like borderline outrageous that at some point students aren't told like okay this is how it has to work here in a film school because we only have crews of eight people or less. Um, yeah. And uh, but in the real world, like this is what a film set looks like. And when you go out into the world, like if you want to succeed in these fields, like this is what you should do. And like thinking back on my own education, that totally didn't happen. And I'm kind of completely surprised looking back on it from where I am now that it didn't. Like it seems kind of outrageous that somebody didn't say, okay, like we've totally prepared you to be an artist, but we haven't prepared you to be a professional. And this is, this, here's some tips. Like basically go and listen to the Pasco's podcast and like would probably be all I need <laughs> to say. Um, but, you know, like this is how you could probably try and succeed. Like that didn't happen. And and it's, it does make sense as to why then like, you know, these, these young'uns email and just say, hey, I'm a producer because I've been told for the last three years that that's the role that I'm filling on set. Um, but, but you'd like to think that would. people would have some nous and some strategy uh, and go and listen to podcasts like this and go online and read and kind of go, okay, how am I going to stand out? How am I going to get a foot in the door? That's sort of like point one of like your two point thing. And the other thing about being pigeonholed is that's, that's true. That's how the world works. But the other thing that happens in tandem with that is that no one will pay you to do anything that you haven't done before. Like that's like the old joke in like the film industry. It's right. Like, Oh, like I can't get, um, accreditation, I can't be in the guild if I haven't done the work. And if I haven't done the work, I can't, like, if I'm not in the guild, I can't get the work, you know? It's like chicken and egg sort of stuff, mm-hmm. which is why you've got to go out and like make your own stuff. Like no one would let us make ads with a budget if we didn't have music videos that look like they were made with a comparable budget. And no one let us make music videos with a comparable budget to those of TV commercials if we hadn't made, you know, a music video with half the budget that it looked like we had when we made it, if that makes sense. You know, like you've got to, you know, you make the free music video look like it costs 500 bucks and then you get the 500 buck music video and you make it look like it costs a thousand bucks and so on up the train, up the tree. Uh, it, so it's just about doing a lot of work. Oh yeah, that is, and, that could basically yeah. you could save your leader, um, your listeners a lot of time and just tell them it's 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 a lot of work and or do something that has value <laughs> like mm. because you know, being being inexperienced and like saying you're a producer uh doesn't help anybody get anything done it's like well what what is your actual skill like how are you actually going to add value do you have relationships with that location that we need to get access to like like you know are you going to put a muffin on my desk when you also bring me a coffee yeah you know <laughs> You're, uh, are you hungry? I, I just see you're talking a lot about muffins. Uh, no, it's um, totally before breakfast here. It, yeah. So uh, I wanted to, to take you back a bit. Um, so what do you think, you know, if you think about that transition when you made it from, you know, you're doing the music videos to, to uh, and you're doing the graphic design to your first, like, paid 
gig like your ad um well maybe it was a, a well-paid music video i remember working on a, a music video with you where i was doing lighting i can't remember the name of the band but we were in frio i know that which ones <laughs> oh yeah 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 i remember it yep yeah so no but uh like how did you how did you take that step up was it just that that you had you were sh- uh, talking to people and people knew you because of the contacts you made or there was definitely you- a very brief moment in time where people in the music scene knew who we were and wanted to work with us it was definitely very brief it is definitely long gone um yeah. but but um there was something of a reputation that developed at which point people would come to us and ask us to do work, but that's obviously not the way it starts. Um, the, the, the first music video that Sam and I did, um, Sam is a co-founder of Penguin was for birds of Tokyo, which certainly didn't hurt. Um, and was done as part of the ads and music video unit at curtain. Um, so we made a, a sort of slick looking music video for birds of Tokyo. And then we basically, took that around to other bands that we liked sort of saying like, Hey guys, like we'd love to make you a music video and this is what we do. Um, and bands at a certain tier don't have a ton of choice. Like, you know, if they like the piece of, and they don't have a lot of money or any money. Um, so, you know, if they like what you've done before and they like what you're pitching them now, they can be willing to give you a chance. And then if that turns out, well, then you've got two pieces of work to show, blah, blah, blah. And so on. And you, you know, you just try and be strategic about, who you're going to next and make sure that you're you're leveling up each time in terms of kind of resources to execute and also also profile of the of the people that you're you're working with and you try and make you try and raise the profile of the people that you're working with currently as well you know it's like oh this music video looks better than what we might have expected from this band relative to where they're at in the industry and how much money they have to spend so you kind of help each other out and then you then try and step up again, I guess. That was true for us. I don't know if that's going to be true for everybody, but um, uh, hopefully that's and, helpful. And so, so then how did you transition into ad, ad, you know, ad work? Um, we, we were doing music videos that looked like they cost as much as ads, uh, and so it wasn't you know, a stretch for anybody to kind of go, yeah, they could handle it. They know what they're doing. They can, they can manage the budget and they can deliver production value for us. Um, and also the ad world um, is really interested in like, you know, new and exciting talent, or at least it, it has been in the past. Uh, I'm not sure how much that's true. You know, it's market as small as Perth right now, but in, in the world, it certainly remains true. Um, yeah, it's like, you know, like, oh, this director's making cool stuff. Like, look at his reel. Like, this guy's exciting. We want to be working with him was sort of the the ploy at our end and and was true for us thankfully um yeah and 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 i i'd certainly be really interested if somebody sent me if a perth-based director sent me their reel now and was like check out my music videos like they're they're awesome and they genuinely were and they looked like um you know the, the quality of work that we would make in the kind of in terms of production value looked like what we would make you know, uh, for commercials, like I would be very receptive to seeing their work and try and create opportunities for them. Like, um, I'd welcome it. The, the issue is, of course, I say that, and we do get uh, reels from from local directors who have made eight or ten music videos or whatever, but they're just not good enough in a lot of instances, or or not applicable. You know, it's like ah, oh, this is cool for the indie scene, but I can't show this to creatives or clients locally and say like this guy can direct your tv commercial because they can't make the jump you know like if people are vomiting on each other and like whatever obscure i I think i've seen that music video yeah it's like that you can't i can't sell that you know but certain things certain things translate what are things that you can sell then uh look uh are you getting into the kind of airy-fairy a, a little bit or I, I would have to be getting into the airy-fairy about kind of what makes something sizzle and what makes something not sizzle? But a lot of it has to do in the mm. commercial world with just production value and aesthetic. You know, it's like really got to look smick, schmick, like particularly with people expect, almost expect music videos to look better than ads because you don't have clients breathing down your neck telling you to make it a certain way or it doesn't have to be set in mum's kitchen because mum's about to find out how cheap gas is you know like um or how great the cereal tastes you know like it's probably going to be set 
in a field at magic hour, you know, while there's a blazing bonfire behind them or whatever and embers are flying everywhere and you're like, oh man, this thing looks incredible. Like it better look better than, than the stuff that you can make in ads a lot of the time. Um, so, you know, it's, it's definitely aesthetic, it's production value and certainly I'd love it if it was storytelling and if it was kind of like mm. thought provoking um, imagery, basically paired with a good track and and also um creatives uh, care about brands you know as as one might expect so if the band is of a high profile that's a good thing too like of a decent profile yeah 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 do you take into account like views online views kind yeah, of thing absolutely yeah i mean and the other thing that people do like i've talked a lot about like music how much videos, traction it got on youtube totally the other thing that matters a lot yeah. like um both in terms of creating just in terms of cachet, right? When you go like, oh, this director's mm. got a, a thing that went viral and it got so many views. Um, that's a good like, endorsement of that director's skill, but it's also directly translatable to what the agencies want. Like if they're going to make web yeah. content, they want millions of views. And if they think that that director has the secret source or the special sensibility that's going to get them that, they're, they're twice as interested to work with them. So that's definitely saleable. Um the and the other thing I talked a lot about music videos is 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 actually like ads like God I mean if people turned up with spec ads like oh, I just went and made an ad for Nike even though I don't have nothing to do with Nike I just went and did it like that would be great and doesn't really seem to happen it happens a lot in the world just doesn't happen in Perth um, yeah uh, and or what you do see some of in Perth is is our, our ads for charities and things like that you know like people making ads for mm -hmm. the Greens or making ads for the Salvation Army or whatever, like that's really useful um, to create an opportunity, like to go out and make an ad for a good cause that benefits the cause but also benefits you. I'm, I'm pretty sure I worked on a yeah. Penguin Empire uh, charity ad um, somewhere along the way. You might have. And I uh, think actually a lot of our success can be attributed to uh, like a really great charity ad uh, you know i'm partly remembering the story wrong or at least only a section of it like when you asked like you know how did we transition from music videos to commercials like mm. our first commercial had a decent budget um because the one of the creative directors was a big fan of uh, music videos and he himself was kind of from the music video world so he was like oh let's get these guys to do it um but our actual kind of real sort of breakthrough so to speak was a charity ad it was like um, a set of ads made for for no money mm. that were for a great cause they had a great script from an awesome agency and they just turned out really well and they won some awards and stuff and then they had a lot of fans yeah. locally and so then well, you know, the, the next big opportunity was from a creative director who loved those ads not the one that had any well, money was that the saint john ambulance ad or was it the uh, uh um I'm trying to think of the, the, the projects I know you, you did. Do you, do you mind so we did about? A, like We've done a couple ads for St. John, like probably the mm. most successful ad we've ever made in terms of like reaction worldwide and awards and all that sort of stuff was for St. John. But the, the, the ads I'm talking about were, were for Alcoholics Anonymous. Like they were done through. Oh, yeah, a, I worked um, on that. Yeah, I think that was the one that you're thinking of. <laughs> Um, yeah. So that was done with literally no money and um, they turned out great. And then the creative director of the brand agency saw those ads, really liked those ads and gave us a job with St. John, which isn't the one that, you know, went, went on to win a bunch of awards uh, internationally, but it was the, the, the biggest ad we, we'd ever done at the time. Like it was a big step up and a big opportunity. And, and it came off the back of ads that had no budget at all. Um, do you th do you think that you positioned yourself to take that opportunity and run with it and be successful because of all the other work you'd done? You know that that you were ready to take that opportunity when it came, no matter what it was, whether it was this the Saint John ad or the uh, or or something else. Uh, yeah, I suppose so. Yeah, I think so. I know that's kind of an esoteric question. No, I mean, I just think you have to be ready at every stage. Like, I wasn't completely cognizant at the time that, like, oh, um, you know, I have to get this one right uh, because this is the one. Like, I think it's like, oh, I've got to get this thing that's in front of me right because it's the thing that I'm doing now. It's kind of like a constant commitment to quality. Like, I don't think mm -hmm. I've ever 
been like, oh, okay, I can just let this one go through to the keeper. Like it doesn't, oh, this one doesn't, isn't worth my full attention and full focus and uh, full capability. Like, and I think that's something that people do respond to as well. And, and it's something for youngins to keep in mind is that kind of like your reputation matters. Like, so like every time you step up to the plate, like take a swing for a home run because you're going to, you know, you're going to rack up more runs than people that, that don't, I guess. To, I shouldn't use sporting metaphors. I don't know how sport works. <laughs> but, you know, essentially like, you know, people want to work with us because every time people seem to work with us, they seem to get a good result. And that's partly because every time we set out to make a great product um, and also because we avoid things that we don't think will get a great product, you know, and at a certain point that becomes important for people as well. It's like, you know, only do things that you think are going to turn out well. Um, that's not where you should start, to be honest. Like, you know, you should be going on to every music video because you don't even know, you don't know what's going to turn out well and you don't know what's going to create the next opportunity. But at a certain point when you start to develop a bit of a reputation, like you want to be selective and like only work with bands that you like and only work on concepts that you think are good and are going to turn out well um, because these choices define who you are as a quote-unquote artist or and or you know just are the the foundation of your reputation and that matters mm. hey let me ask you a question hannah what do you want to do and also are you staying in perth is that the plan go to houston sounds like the moral of the story <laughs> oh don't uh, go to well, houston i <laughs> you work I, for nasa uh, though, right? yeah i don't want to live great. in houston no no i'm not nasa i'm working do... for a chemical company <sighs> <laughs> making videos the fortune 500 but it's uh it, and it's a very interesting opportunity uh, um uh and i don't want to work take there to then work there. at nasa then that's the thing you know it's you gotta step away know, to I, NASA. I, yeah well <laughs> maybe you don't want to work well, at nasa feel... you're blowing my mind i I don't, I don't know. No, maybe not with the, the current uh, <laughs> way that they're treating NASA. Maybe SpaceX or whatever. But you work at NASA company. to work at SpaceX. Yeah. Have I, you learned I, nothing, I, uh, I talked I've to... been giving you gold. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I talked to some people who uh, uh, work for the NSBRI, uh, uh, the, the NASA um uh, Baylor uh, affiliation where they, they're studying the health effects of people going into space, right? And awesome. they talk about uh, they talk about going to NASA, working at NASA, but you work there because it's NASA. You don't work there to get paid. Yeah. Um, I think that's you know. true in a lot of industries, right? Like, you know, if you want to spin it back yep. in the film industry, that's what everyone says. It's like working with Marvel because you want to be working with Marvel more than Marvel needs you to be working with them. Um, yeah, you know, exactly. it enhances your brand, and I imagine the same is true of NASA. There's also the perk of uh, if you work at NASA that you might get to go to space. That's pretty great. Well, or at you, least you ride in a centrifuge. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I just want to go on the vomit comet, you know? Yeah. Like go up, feel oh, God, weightlessness, throw up, come down, you know? <laughs> Sorry, um, Hannah. This did start with a question about you. What are you, what are you doing? Uh, so I... I'm a director. I know you've just told me not to. You can be a director that. in this sphere. Just don't email me saying that you're a director. Like, in, do, you, do I have any work for you? But you're totally a director if you're I making won't. if you're making stuff and there are stuff that you want to show people and you directed it. Then you're the director of that stuff. Yeah. Well, I'm a director. I'm just finishing a music awesome. video at the minute. Um, it's my first ever one, so I won't send it to you. Smart. <laughs> Probably. Um, <laughs> And I wouldn't send yeah, you my first music video. Living in Perth right now, my partner's from the US, so who knows what's going to happen with that. But um, yeah, just kind of taking it step by step, seeing what work is out there, trying to get as much experience as I can in as many roles as I can, because I think that's important, um, and making my own work. That's so cool. That's that's right. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, well done, Padawan. Yeah. <laughs> Seems I may have imparted <laughs> well, some thank wisdom. You. And or some boredom. If you need a, a set of free or very low-paid hands on set ever, give me a call. Nah, see, no, this, like, bit. you know, if this is the most elaborate kind of attempt to kind of get your foot in the door at the Penguin Empire, I love it. And absolutely, <laughs> yes. come down. So, so you've worked out my, my scheme here. It's just to interview people who can potentially give my sister work. <laughs> right? That's genius. That's brilliant. <laughs> 
Um, so, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring it back because I don't want to waste uh, too much of your time and too much of our listeners' time. But uh, what do you think was the best advice you were given when you started out? Uh, it probably came from Sue Taylor, but I can't remember anything particular right now. Just thinking back, thinking advice. Mm, no, nah, I got nothing. But definitely the best advice that I would give other people is to, is to have a complementary skill. You know, and, and look, and that also is as simple as like if you're a director um, and you want to direct, but you think you'd benefit from getting on sets and seeing how the hell a set actually works before you find yourself on one, like, you know, go and be a gaffer. Like go, go, well, go and be a best boy. Like go and be a third electrics. Yeah. Like, and, and, yeah. and, you know, offer your skills in that space and, and not like begrudge people of it. Like, cause that's the other thing that you're seeing from, what I see from young people sometimes is, I, and you made a passing comment to it, I think, Ben, is like, you know, if, you, if you're there to deliver coffee, like deliver the, the coffee the best way you know how and don't think that you're better than the position and that everyone should recognize that you're actually a directing genius and that, you know, you would direct this movie a hundred times better than whoever's directing it currently. That probably is oh. true. I'm sure that is true. Yeah. But like, actually, just wait for your chance to do it, um, and start off by delivering coffee, awesome, like in an awesome fashion, and so, or any so, number of other roles. So when I was uh, working in in lighting, for instance, or uh, uh, camera, um, I would, especially starting out, I, I would run, try and run faster, or yeah. run harder, or you know, say yes. Uh, because you you have you you have to do that because there's someone else who wants your job, right? right? There's someone else coming out of out of film school who's going to be more mo- motivated than you, and there's going to be plenty who are not motivated, and then they do one gig and never come back, and usually it's an ad. Sorry, Grant. <laughs> uh, the, you know, they uh, because ads allow a little bit more time to find this out. That you have to work a little bit extra, you know. That mechanism uh, is far more vicious in more competitive markets too. Like, the, you know, the, people don't experience that in quite the same way in Perth because there isn't the long line of people um, that want your job quite in the same way that there is in Sydney or in LA. Um, and the, But also, conversely, the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow that lands in Perth is not as big as the pot of gold that lands, you know, that is at the end of the rainbow in, in uh, LA or Sydney. And thus, you know, there's less competition too. Um, so yeah, everything that you're saying is right. Like you've got to earn your position and prove yourself to be better than the competition. The, the, the other thing that I would say, just to flesh out a point that we half made earlier, it's like going on set and being a great best boy only helps you become a great gaffer. Like, and like being a best third electrics only helps you become a best boy. Like in, in one sense, like you do get pigeonholed, like you're, if you're on a track, to um to move up within a certain discipline or a certain field right but um you learn intangible lessons like that enable you to become a better director uh, or a better screenwriter or a better producer because you've been on sets and you've you've learned from experience and you've seen how things have gone down and you know the terminology and you know what you're talking about um you know, you still then have to go off and write the screenplay. You know, like if you're a gaffer uh, and you've had the benefit of seeing scenes play out and you know when a scene works and a scene doesn't work and also you probably most significantly, you know the producer of the last four or five films because you worked with them. So when you email them your screenplay that you wrote in your spare time, um, they're going to read your email more closely and they're going to have to read the script because, you know, they know you and they want you to light their next film or short film or whatever, right? Um, So you do get these benefits. Like, you know, you do do get pigeonholed, but you also do get benefits that you can leverage into success in what your actual chosen field is. You you know, I also would add to that is that nowhere, film school doesn't prepare you to be on set right film school doesn't teach you how to get a scene when the light is going and uh, there's just stress right the only way you get that is by being that experience film school doesn't teach you what turnover means and like good good luck on your first day if you don't know what turnover is you know or any number of terms oh no i know and uh, getting onto a professional set 
is is key almost just to see what it's like uh, to experience it. Yeah, absolutely. And the catering's pretty good. I do. Yeah. Mm, I do think that um, my experience at film school was a little bit different because we uh, do work on. We. It, and again, you were in America, right? If, if I if I remember my on, gossip um, correctly. Hey? Did you study in America? You went to film school in the States or, or acting school? I studied um, theatre in right. America and I studied uh, film at the WA Screen ah, Academy. Ah, well, we there you go. That's sets, where you went right. Like, that were professional. So we did learn what turnover meant. And, but, again, those were student sets at the end of the day, although we acted professionally. They weren't professional, you know? Yeah, there's a yeah, difference. I don't think anybody uh, knows what... There is a like, difference. Yeah, there is totally a difference, particularly in the in the role of being... I, I actually think, like, being on a very professionally run short film school-based set for a gaffer is, you know, well, is, is beneficial and is a better proxy than it is for a director or a producer because you don't actually know what it's like to feel the burden of overtime. It's probably the most significant thing, right? It's like... The producer doesn't actually care. That's why so many film shoots, like like school shoots, go, oh, we shot for 24 hours straight. Like, we're total badasses. It's like, well, no, it just means you're incompetent. Yeah. Like, you know, you should, it should have been two <laughs> yeah, days. Exactly. It should have been two days filming, <laughs> scheduled as two days filming. Or, like, um, something just went really wrong. Like, and, you you know, or, you don't... You or can't simplify. Yeah, or simplify. Like, that's not actually what the job of being a director looks like. It's not like being able to say we're not leaving here until we get it right. And I have the luxury to be able to say that. Like, you know, you don't get that power back for a very long time. Look, and I, and, and I say that like it's a bad thing. Like I totally have been there. Like I've done that. And that was the right thing to do then because it yielded the best product. And the most important thing for everybody was the best product, like the kind of work that you could show to somebody and not, and not tell them that you did a 24-hour shoot day to achieve it. Um, but I guess my point is fundamentally like, you know, that's one thing and you learn a lot of awesome stuff doing that. Mm -hmm. And then you'll learn more and different stuff. Like when you, when you work on a professional set, um, it just has a different set of parameters, I guess, and a different set of things to teach. Although it probably, you know, a better, a better run school set could teach you, you know, stuff that I've flip flippantly like thrown out there, like turnover or whatever. Well, yeah, but uh, but uh, again, say say take um, uh, True Castaway that we both worked on uh, that that where you have to get seven minutes a day, right, yeah. or whatever the the and you you cannot m- miss because missing means that you potentially don't get to spend time on the scene that you really want to spend time on. You that that's a lesson that you can't teach, right? Mm. You know, God, that was brilliant. Like the you know, like that show. It's not going to be remembered in the annals of great Australian television, I'm sure, alongside the Thornbirds or whatever. But, you know, it got the experience. And look, it's good. It was great kids' TV, I'm sure. But the, like, just the, you, yeah, that process, that experience, you can't put a dollar value on it. Like, I probably learned more just through the churn of making that show than I did through years of, of, of work. Uh, at film school it's just in terms of like okay i've got to block another scene like how am i gonna like block this scene how does this scene work like what is this scene really about like handling the tensions and like um personalities of different actors and crew that are all tired that are filming on location like yeah that was brilliant and and you were coming in as as a late late director so we you had an established crew that it worked for maybe uh, four months, I think, or something like that. That was great. You're all too you, tired to complain at that point. You, were, you didn't yeah. give me any grief. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> uh, look, I don't know how tangible or useful that is. I probably shouldn't have got caught up in my own reminiscing. It's not like people can kind of choose what opportunities come their way. I, I, you know, like I can't say to your listeners like, oh, hey, make sure you go and shoot some kids TV, preferably in a beautiful location like Broome for a few months. Um but I suppose. But, but then, but then, take the opportunity if it's given to you. Like, who, that's who's right. going to go? Like, kids TV. That's not going to. That isn't particularly amazing. Kids TV, but it's an opportunity, and and you and a lot of other directors who are out there, including Ben Young, who we talked about earlier, uh, um, have have used that as a a launching pad. Paul Comedina, you know. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. You know, like, yeah, you've got to, you've got to clock the hours you've got to do the work um 
to have benefited from it to 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 direct at the standard of somebody who looks like they've been doing it for a while you have to have done it for a while i think to some extent so uh where can people find you at grant um well the penguin empire online is probably the place to look if you go to the penguin empire.com uh you can see snippets of my work and the other directors that we represent and then hopefully you'll see us in a theater soon maybe hopefully yeah well, you know, I've been hearing Very about cool. your mo- your movie projects for a long time now, so uh, it's good to hear that you're finally getting close. Yeah, that's right. Oh, fingers crossed. Hopefully people can find me in Adelaide on a film set sometime soon. Yeah. All right. Thank you for <laughs> spending the time with us. I hope it was vaguely informative. Well, that was really helpful and interesting, and hopefully I'll get a cheeky job out of it. Well, okay? that's the whole point of the podcast. Um, we'll have to we'll have to I check know. back in on you on a later episode. Let's see if it's uh, paid. Uh, probably not. <laughs> oh well. Uh, so good experience. It's all. That's what it, I'm learning from. It's this all podcast. good experience, and it's it's all about who you know. So Hannah, where where can people find you yes. online? They can find me uh, on most social medias at Poppy Pasco or check out at Robin Doing Things. That's my new adventure. Um. Or I've got a website, hannahpoppypasco.com. Check it out. Fantastic. And they can find me at uh, benpasco.net or uh, on the Twitters and the Instagrammers and such at the Society of Ben. Okay. We'll see you next week. Bye.